Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We haven't been on in a while for various reasons, um, but rather than bore you with those reasons, I'm instead going to introduce our guest for today, which is Mr. Luke Murray, the Irish physio and triage method coach. So what is the crack with you today, Luke? I'm very well. Delighted to be on this podcast. It's a pleasure. Yeah. How are we? We're doing good. We're doing good. Um, so I think a good place to start is bit of an origin story for anyone that doesn't know who you are Luke um so elevator pitch who's who's Luke Murray um right so Luke Murray is a physiotherapist I suppose first and foremost even though I probably don't identify as the physiotherapist that most people would consider standard physio but I'm sure we'll get into that uh background in like sports science strength and conditioning um I suppose I got into Got into sports science as a means to getting into physio because I wasn't one of those really brainy leaving certs that was going to get 600 points and get into do physio. But I, I was playing a lot of sport, I suppose, as a teenager and I got a lot of injuries and I spent a lot of time with a mixed bag of uh, physiotherapists, chiropractors and the likes and got a lot of injuries and didn't manage too well with a lot of those injuries except for one guy that I met who was really good. And then I thought, well, I'd, love to get, I'd love to be a physio uh, and have and help. I suppose, young people in the way that he was helping athletes as well at the time and general public as well. So that's what got me into sports science to get me into physio. So I did that and uh, did sports science in University of Limerick and then went over to England and did my master's in physio over in Brighton. And uh, I suppose I was lucky with sports science to get to go to New Zealand for eight months, worked with um, the Chiefs over there, which are like, at the time they were the best uh, rugby team in New Zealand. Crusaders have sort of passed them out now. Uh, but that was an unreal experience working uh, with the strength and conditioning team there and uh, lots of all blacks and the likes there. So that was really cool. And then I got work with the New Zealand uh, rowing team as well. So that was all um, mm. really cool. Then I came back and when I did physio, I got work with, um, as like an intern physio with uh, London Irish, with their first team, their first uh, rugby team. So the the pros, and that was really cool as well. So really good mix of S&C and then physio therapy side of things within sport and then after that once I qualified I was working with the general public which is probably where I learned most of um, what I know with the general population in the NHS and then I was working with London Irish Academy and Arsenal Academy as well for that would, would have been from about 2018 up until 2021 and then I decided to pack all that in and go and do medicine so I'm now back in Limerick again and working for triage and doing some other bits and bobs as well so that's the that's the escalator chat there for you yeah strong origin story to be fair um and i think you've been asked this before but like do you think the the current life path that you've taken are you was that a good choice do you feel based on like going back to do medicine because obviously like there's a there's a good few struggles that comes along with that like but do you feel it was a good choice based on what you've experienced so far yes yeah yeah that would yes would be the short answer definitely enjoy it like i like the I, what i wasn't getting in physio was i wanted to learn an awful lot more in depth about medicine basically mm-hmm. and i like the um I enjoy the detective work that comes with doing a, an assessment of somebody and finding out what, what's going on and putting all the pieces of the jigsaw together. And while I was getting a bit of that in physio, physio was more rehab orientated. And I wasn't, although I enjoy rehab, I wasn't getting that same sort of spark 
that I get from assessing people. So I wanted to go back and uh, be challenged in that way and sort of um, see where I could go with uh, with the medicine side of things. So, so far, I've only done one year and loved every second of it, loved the intensity of it, the pace of it, liked the challenge of it. And yeah, so far, I'm, I'm happy. But maybe once I qualify and I'm working in the HSE here in Ireland, I might give you a different answer. <laughs> Yeah, you can see you can see that flair and enjoyment you have in that detective work because I've I've done some consultations with my clients with Luke, you know, and I've just kind of sat there in the wings and just uh, you know given whatever input I need to give. But you can you can def that definitely comes across. Um, I think it's one of the reasons you know that you're so good at what you do here. Um, and yeah, definitely try and avoid work, working in the HSE. Go go back to New Zealand or something, or go. You know, a lot of other places outside of Ireland that will give you a nice quality of life while being a medical professional. Being a medical professional and also working for triage anywhere in the world, of course. Yes, sir. True. True. Um, yeah. And before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, Luke has actually just reminded me there that we do have some coaching spaces available. We'll obviously get into the into more detail on that at the end of the podcast. Um but of course, you're, if you're interested in working with us, you can find the link for coaching in the in the description of the podcast. Um, but yeah, Brian, do you want to start um, with any of the topics that you have in mind in terms of what we like to quiz Luke on? Because obviously, he's a wealth of knowledge, but we only have so mm. much time to, to quiz him. So where do you think is a good place to start? Yeah, I think given Luke's background, it should lead us to a point where he's you know somewhat of a unique standpoint in the field, you know, with the SNC background and obviously the physiotherapy, but then also going into the medicine and working with us. So uh, I think he has a nice viewpoint for what he does here. Um, so I think let's, let's talk about Luke, your sort of philosophy as a, say a physiotherapist, but, you know, extended beyond that. Cause I, I don't want to, I don't want to pigeon you, pigeonhole you as, you know, just a physiotherapist because you, you do a lot more than that. Um, and especially as a, as a triage coach as well, like, you know, that's not by any means what you're, what you're limited to. And we'll talk more about that. Um, but, you know, what, your philosophy as a physio, like what is your role as you see it? And how does that maybe differ to what the common perception is of a physiotherapist uh, in terms of what you do with people? That's a good question. Um, so I suppose my, in a very simple way, my philosophy of care is using the scientific evidence to help you help yourself, you being the patient or client that comes to me with the problem. Um, and I think if you were to ask another physio, that's like your traditional physio, they might give you a fairly similar answer, but they might get to this, that outcome with a different means, if that makes sense. So like we were sort of chatting um, before we started recording, some physios might do, uh, I mean, the, the traditional view of physio by the general public is, okay, you walk down the road, you ask somebody, what does a physio do? They'll say, probably massage, maybe a bit of manual therapy, uh, maybe like some manipulations, maybe some dry needling, um, and then maybe a few exercises um, that are pretty low load, not too intense, and then um, the rub is what gets me better and I go back and do all the things that I want to do. Um, but as a physio that I suppose through the, through the, the education that I got and the background, like what you're saying there with the S and C side of things, I probably come at it from a very, um, coach and coaching first 
um, perspective. So it's very much trying to get people to take ownership and self-manage their problem. Um, so you've well, I've seen me on social media before trying to um, talk about getting people to become their own physiotherapists so that they're in the driver's seat and they're in control. So if, that, if they have a flare-up of their back pain or their knee pain, um, let's say they're gardening or they're running, whatever, they're doing a marathon marathon training and then they, during the middle of the night, get a flare-up of their pain, that straight away they're not thinking, I need to call a physio and get some deep tissue massage that actually through working online or in person that they've been given the tools, all the tools in their toolbox to then manage their problem independently without having to go and see somebody and uh, rely on somebody else to get them better, that they can get themselves better. So I suppose that's what I'd be trying to do is trying to um, use the best available evidence that we have to help people help themselves. Um, so it's very much like, it is very much, um, person-centered so I would probably have a humanistic approach to the care that I provide so I, I'm very much a believer that you should be treating the person not the, the body part um like there's a big thing in in medicine at the moment where you don't treat the you don't treat the scan you treat the person so if somebody has an MRI scan and it shows they've got a lot of bulging discs in their back you don't treat the scan you you talk to the person in front of you you treat them as a human being you first and foremost listen to them actively you um, you display some amount of, of compassionate care and you address them, not just the scan. So um, as we know, like all of us here, we work with different people in different capacities. Um, people are complicated. Things, life is messy. Um, people can be, can be irrational at times and they need an objective eye. And I think as a coach or as a physio, you're trying to help them make sense of their problems, give them an objective eye and then try and facilitate a return to their goals or a return to their activities or whatever they're trying to achieve themselves. Um, so I try and do all these things in as evidence-based approach. And that's why I do a lot of it online because a lot of the stuff that I would be doing if I was in a clinic might be considered less evidence-based or more along the lines of, um, you know, traditional physiotherapy where it's a lot of hands-on care, but there isn't a lot of scientific evidence to justify its use as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that like, you know, there is that split or divide even amongst physios in terms of like the way you guys might approach um, situations because I even find it interesting. I think you put up a post there one day whereby um, a, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but is it like a high percentage of physios are not or they find it very difficult or either don't keep up? with the current evidence in terms of how that applies to their, their patients or their clients? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. But I, I don't know if that's a physio profession thing or if that's a healthcare in general thing. Because I know mm. with, with some of the, so I, I, I'm like the blog manager for Physio Network for people that listen might not know it. It's just a, an online CPD platform. And I look after a lot of the uh, blogs that we post from different writers across the world and uh the whole philosophy of that site is to try and bridge the gap between um what the research is saying and what people are doing in practice because there is something crazy like 10 to 15 to 20 year uh difference between what's being produced and it being implemented in practice so um physiotherapy is a very new profession and there's always new um evidence coming out that we are that that debunk a lot of the stuff that we do um, and I suppose if you're a physio and you've been working for 10, 20, 15 years, 
you may not be up to date with that evidence because A, you're probably running a really busy clinic and B, you have a set way that you work and you get outcomes with your patients. But I would argue that the outcomes that people get doing classic or traditional physiotherapy can be got through digital format or through a format that doesn't involve them having to rely on me to get them better, that they can actually get themselves better. So it's a more active approach. But yeah, to answer your question, there is a big, there is a divide first and foremost, which is unfortunate. And I don't think it's completely necessary because like a, a good example is like, there's a really good physio called Tom Goom. He's like running the running physio on Instagram and Twitter. And he, he often talks about the um, a scenario, uh, a thought experiment of, okay, I'm a physiotherapist. And if somebody comes down to me and they, um, they want a massage, because they've got a marathon that they're doing in six weeks time and they feel really sore and they're, they've got a few little niggles that they need to manage. He could tell that patient that, look, uh, there is no scientific evidence to justify doing a massage. So I'm not going to do that. Well, the patient is going to leave and they're going to go down to the next person down the road who might actually massage them once a week, every day, up until the marathon and charge them a few grand because believe it or not, that does happen. So are you actually better off picking the lesser of two evils and saying, well, okay, I'll give you a bit of what you want, but actually let's, let's do a bit of what actually works too. So yeah, we, we'll do a bit of massage, but we're going to make a sign a verbal contract here of if I give you this bit of massage and I provide you with this narrative of what it is and what it isn't doing, and then we can actually do some rehab and facilitate this recovery so we can get you doing this, this marathon. I think that's probably the most logical and the most diplomatic way of incorporating a few different skills as a physio to help the person return to sport or return to activity. And of course, that's not something that I do digitally because I, I obviously can't because of the limitations of, of being a digital physio, but the outcomes are still the exact same. You know, you're just a lot of the stuff that physios will use um, nearly just keep the client or patient busy while the natural healing process is doing its job. And uh, you can get this to the same outcome by a, a variety of different means as well. Yeah, you can see you can see why you're you know with us as as a coach now as well because so much of this stuff overlaps you know just in coaching in general right um and yeah you you hear about that like i'll see i'll see clients talk about that you know i was feeling stiff and sore this week so i need to go for a massage and it's like you know is there is that warranted you know if someone is feeling say stiff and sore as a result of their training you know, if, you know, say they, they ask you, okay, what should I do about this? Because, you know, I want your input, but I know you can't physically give me a, a massage or a deep tissue or whatever. So like, you know, what should, what should someone think about in that context? Yeah. So I suppose with the, with the researcher hat on, um, you would be saying, okay, well, deep tissue massage isn't going to improve recovery because we have no evidence to justify doing a deep tissue massage to improve uh, DOMS or to improve uh, return to play or something like that after uh, if you're feeling really stiff and you're feeling really um, sore after workouts or after some uh, uh, high um, training block or whatever. Um, but then the flip side of that is some people will still want it. They don't care about the research. They want to, they want the deep tissue massage because they have a perception that it, it's going to be, it's going to get, it's going to be uncomfortable. And then I'm going to feel better after it. And it's, uh, it's something that is very much driven by people's beliefs as opposed to the evidence. So if I believe it's going to do something, then 
I'm going to go and pay that money for it. And I, I believe it's going to help me. So therefore it will help me. Um, so it, come, it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'll have this conversation with people in and in, try and have it in a non-judgmental way where we'll have this open discussion about what it does and doesn't do. And if somebody wants to get it done, I will say, okay, so this is what it does and doesn't do. If you still are happy to pay the money for it and you feel like it's going to benefit you, even though the evidence isn't there to support it, then by all means, crack on. Like people are, you know, sometimes deep tissue massage feels really good. I think we have to acknowledge that some of these things can feel great and that makes us feel good temporarily and people will, um, will pay for that. And I think that's fine. But from my point of view as a digital physio, I'd be then gearing them towards certain strategies that might be more useful. So it might be a case that we engage in some sort of active recovery as opposed to passively lying on a bench while a physio does stuff to us. So an active recovery could be as simple as picking something that that person enjoys at a very low intensity and getting their joints moving in a way that they find enjoyable, in a way that might take their mind off the stiffness and in a way that they've um, chilled out and felt pretty good after doing something that's enjoyable. So that could be cycling, swimming, walking, doing something like maybe they actually do a weight session, but they, they slash the, the percentages on the bar and they're doing really low intensity work just to get into the groove of things and loosen things out through some light loading. Um, if somebody really wants to, by all means, they could still do some foam rolling if they feel like that's going to override some of that the stiffness and, and discomfort that they have. But again, I'll be trying to educate them on the lack of benefit from overdoing it because I've seen so many people that will literally do their whole body uh, foam rolling and it could take them could take them an hour before they even uh, get into their workouts or you know on a day off as a as a third yeah. as a week on their recovery day day seven they spend a huge chunk of the day doing foam rolling and like i don't know i don't there's definitely no evidence to justify doing it for that length of time and the the length the amount of benefits that you would have got from doing 15 minutes of it are going to be gone by 30 45 and 60 minutes so if you've done your upper back at one o'clock and then you're doing your calves at two o'clock all the benefits for your upper back have been gone. Uh, you've, they've, you've, they've left the system 59 minutes ago, do you know, that type of thing. So hmm. it's really trying to just be a bit more, um, I suppose, a bit more open-minded about the different opportunities to actively recover and to be uh, less, I suppose, dedicated to what marketing and advertising leads us to believe are the answer for our recoveries and for, reducing injury risk and the likes because majority of the things that people will see advertised as uh, useful recovery modalities have very little evidence to that they are very little evidence that they reduce injury risk or improve performance mm, yeah it's it's kind of like people want the real sexy stuff or the stuff that's like you know uh, it looks you know perceptually or you know from a logical perspective in their minds, it might seem like, right, okay, getting the back baller um, or a foam roller or something like that and just going, going ham on it, it seems like a good idea. Like a fairy, a fairy going probably has a place in the bedroom, right? We're talking about sexy things. Like probably does. <laughs> probably you come up with something for it. Not that I would know, but you know, sorry to cut you off. I think there's probably more effective tools than that though at the same time. Like it's a bit, it's a bit short, like you know, it's uh... it's a it's a, it's a bit too expensive as well. I was in Brown Thomas uh here in, in the lovely Limerick City last week and I was uh 
just roaming around and I said I'd have a little look at Paragons and I picked it up and it was 250 euro and I thought oh my goodness this is horrific that is daylight wow. robbery right there yeah that's mad like uh, what you're saying there about like earlier uh, you know people that'll pay you know thousands in many cases to some of these practitioners like it's I have had experiences with or well one experience with a particular um, chiropractor and the business model really is, it's like, right, I'm going to get you in and we're going to talk about subluxations and how you're a broken mess and all of your, uh, all of the detrimental aspects of your life is to do with these uh, misalignments in your spine and all this kind of stuff. So we're going to get you on a package of 10 sessions for the next uh, 10 years and all this kind of crack. Like, And people fall into these traps and it's like, you know, I'd say it's probably like probably heartbreaking to a certain degree for you when you hear of these stories, when you're dealing with clients of like, oh, like you've actually spent like, you know, the a, a college degree almost worth of money on stuff that's actually not really been that overly helpful to you. Like, you know. Yeah. And, and look, like, I, I, I suppose I don't want to be I have lots of friends that are chiropractors that are better clinicians than I am like they're class clinicians some of them are really good at musculoskeletal problems but it's it's just that a lot because like some physios are, are terrible as well like there are terrible mm. physios there are terrible osteopaths there are terrible chiros there are terrible psychologists doctors but it's it, it's really frustrating like what you're saying when people are being charged insane money for stuff that has zero evidence to justify doing it and I'm both I'm, I was I was that patient as well. Like I remember as a 14 year old, I went to a, a chiropractor 25 times. Um, that's 50 euro per session. I wasn't working at the time. So I'm still paying my parents back for that. Like that's crazy money. And um, in fairness to this chiropractor, at the very end of the day, they were like, look, we're probably not going to be able to help you out. And I appreciated the honesty in that they said we can't help you out. But it's just a pity that it took 25 sessions for them to say that. So when you think of the financial investment and the, the stories that or the narrative that's sold, like what you've alluded to there, the way your spine is out of alignment, your hips are out of alignment, and this is the problem, and that's why you need to see me. Do you know, it's creating this sort of patriarchal um, healthcare model and business model where you rely on me to get you better, and you have to come back for this top-up session every so often. But there's no evidence to justify it, and it's it's really... It's really unfortunate, it's disappointing, and it's, in a lot of cases, I think it's criminal, and it's a pity that people can get away with it, because for me, the biggest issue is the belief and the narrative that, then, that you take away from that session. Like, as a 14-year-old, I then would go home, and I'd be like, I remember looking at myself in the mirror going, oh, crap, yeah, she's right, I can't. My hips are a bit twisted out of alignment, because it's not level in the, in the mirror. And as a, as a physio now, I see maybe 12 12 different clients every day um, that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond that's, that have those same beliefs that I would have had as a 14, 15 or 16 year old. And I was lucky enough that I then saw a clinician that was able to talk me out of those beliefs. But when you see those beliefs accumulate over time and they become ingrained and in you, they become a part of your identity that, well, I'm the person with the bad back because it's my hips that are out of alignment or the chiropractor measured my uh, leg length differences and there's a five millimeter difference between right and left. And that's why I've got right-sided neck pain. It's like, there is no, 
there is no evidence to justify it, but it's it's been it's it's become such a common thing. Um, see it every single day, and it's not going away fast. Um, so that's why I put so much time into putting accurate evidence based information out there because it's just so it's so rife. Like even if you, I don't know if you saw. Um, the Commonwealth Games are on at the moment and there's uh, a lot of the swimmers um, are getting out of the pool and their entire body marked with uh, cupping marks all over their trunk. And it's, uh, you know, if I'm the general public and I don't know about these things, I'm going to look at that athlete and think, okay, that person has, uh, first of all, they've got a great physique. They're absolute weapons in the pool. They are animal athletes. Um if they're getting cupping, there must be something something to it. They know they must be it must be useful in some way because they're not going to mess around with stuff that doesn't work. They're elite athletes, they're class. And that's the that's the issue. That's the crux of the problem is that we see the elite athletes doing it. Therefore, we think I could benefit from this. And it's not till you get into the nitty-gritty of it that you see so many um so many non-evidence-based um practices at the elite level because. An awful lot of the time, they they can afford it. They want it. They feel like it's going to give them that one uh, percent, but actually, it's probably just a nice placebo kick that they're getting. Uh, and that doesn't mean that the general population need it, and it doesn't mean that it's improved their performance in any way, shape, or form. So, it's rife. It's everywhere. Like all these different practices are have have managed to seep into so many different parts of uh, normal day to day life and elite athletes as well. Yeah, it's 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 very like. It's interesting, a lot of the things that you're saying there has a lot of parallels even when we're dealing with clients that have impaired relationships with food. Like I would say, you'd notice that, Brian, like it's in terms of like just these ingrained beliefs from sources such as elite athletes and, Mm. you know, people of high status, shall we say, you know, like if you think of, as you say, athletes that may be, you know, either knowingly or unknowingly, promoting these dysfunctional practices as it relates to, you know, cupping, et cetera. It's, it's not far away from whenever Beyonce comes out and says she's on this diet and then she creates a lot of fucking eat disorders because of it. Like, you know, so it's very yeah. interesting. I was talking way. to, I was talking to a friend of mine about this today. Uh, we're actually reflecting on like some nutrition advice that I gave him like many years ago. And I've since changed my opinions on a lot of what I, uh, kind of the sources that I recommended. And we were talking about that. And it's like, we're talking about a, a certain functional medicine doctor who's very prominent in the, in the field. Um, and, you know, we're kind of talking like, oh, how can you kind of begrudge the guy for essentially trying to get people to eat more, you know, plant foods, eat higher quality diet, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, yeah, you can't, you don't hold that against them, but it's when you start saying that like sugar is the cause of, you know, neurodegenerative disease. And it's, it's the beliefs that, these kind of people instill in the general public that creates these like the, like what Luke talked about there like there's such self-limiting beliefs about you know your own sort of well-being and, and things like that and yeah no you, you were you talking about your experience with that Cairo you know after 25 sessions and, and all that stuff that it led you to believe and I can definitely resonate with uh some of that kind of stuff as well although i, I thought luke when you're saying oh there i was i was 14 and i was heading down when you said car i thought you were going to say castle town for christmas but um <laughs> <laughs> that's an inside joke that makes me going to get that no 
Well, maybe we should enlighten them now, but um, no, that's yeah, that's, that's an aside. I'll throw that in there. Um, you can but yeah, explain it to me off air. Uh, you so. should know. I mean, oh, oh, yeah, okay, we'll explain it to you off air. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, we could do this. It's nothing. Do you have an issue talking about it on air, Luke? No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, I just think it's so, it's so off the beaten track, it's hilarious. So, for anyone. <laughs> For anyone that hasn't put it together already, which you wouldn't have, um, the Hardy Books is uh, obviously used to be really popular in Ireland. YouTube sensation of a few lads in a made up town called Castletown in Mayo. Um, a long time ago, about 12 years ago, they put out a message on Facebook saying, we need extras. Is anyone available? Me being a bum 16 year old is like, yeah, I can, I can be there in a half an hour. Um, so myself and my neighbor drove down at whatever time, half nine in the morning, sp- went to this part of Mayo, Swinford, and uh, we stayed there for the entire day in the ball alley, recording Christmas in Castletown, which was the Christmas special back in whatever that was. Can't do the math. And uh, and the whole, the, the big thing was, is that I was the Luke that was in foundation maths. So I would be going to like youth discos in the West of Ireland, and people would be looking at me going, that the guy that was in Foundation Maths? That's, that's Luke. Standing in doorways, yeah? Hard man. And all these type of things. So that was my claim to fame for a long time. And uh, yeah, the gift that keeps on giving. So funny. You can, look, you can find the clip on, on YouTube, uh, Hardy Books, yeah, Christmas in Castletown. Maybe, maybe Dean will put it in the show notes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll stick it in the show notes if, I, if you, you send me the clip and I'll, I'll put it in the I'll put it in the show notes. It's interesting because like Hardy books has kind of come, uh, had a bit of a resurgence on TikTok. People are like putting the clips on like TikTok again. It has come up for me a couple of times. Um, so you never know, like maybe, maybe you could get like 10,000 followers from like some Hardy book clip that goes viral. Yeah, so. I, I was, I was, uh, I wasn't on TikTok up until a few, about like a month ago, two months ago. And uh, somebody on Twitter sent me, Somebody on Twitter that I hadn't talked to in years sent me a message and it was a video of me on TikTok. Somebody had made that the clip out of Lucas in Foundation Maths and it had it had up on, I think it was 30,000 views or something like that. Um, so these 30,000 people viewing this video need to come and follow me now on TikTok. Yeah. Because yeah. I only have about two followers. I think, yeah, I think Dean, you're one of my followers and Shane, so it's a purely a triage yeah. party on TikTok. Um... <laughs> Well, yeah, to, to get back towards the topic, I, I fuck it, I really enjoy that. So uh, I'm glad, I'm glad we got to talk about that. Uh, so I was breaking my shit laughing watching that clip. Because um, I do enjoy the Hardy books. Like, and you can just tell that you are all just trying not to piss yourself laughing while you're doing yeah. it. <laughs> um, but yeah, li- literally, you, you mentioned earlier, like people kind of wasting inordinate amounts of time, you know, farm roll and shit before, before training or on their, their off days. Like I literally did that. Um, for like several years, you know, foam rolling the entire body. Probably took me like half an hour, 45 minutes. And like, used to be a running joke in the gym. It's like, how is that lad like in good nick? Because all he does is like fuck around on a foam roller and like do like weird gymnastic mobility stuff. And that's all he does. So like, how is he? You never see him lifting a weight. And it's like, I, w- I was lifting some weights, but like, yeah, it was just like, it, it pains me to think of all the time I wasted doing all that shit um just because i read you know becoming a supple leopard and i was like oh okay yeah i'll buy into that um i didn't know any better 
Um, and some of the stuff was good, like, you know, the, the kind of cues about bracing and stuff when lifting, like, you know, that was fine. Um, but all the mobility stuff is, you know, I know better now that it's just not useful. Like, you know, sticking a lacrosse ball everywhere that the sun does and doesn't shine, like to improve your mobility, you know, it's just, it's just painful and, you know, but not as painful as having to reflect on that. And now that I wasted like, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes every pre-workout like doing that sort of stuff you know and then as you said it's like whatever about that but then the the kind of detriment is that i have problems that i need to try and fix through these means and it's like you know oh like you know do i have anterior pelvic tilt or you know it's like upper cross syndrome or whatever like all this kind of crack that that comes with the territory that um i think that's probably one of the issues with a lot of these kind of alter, let's call them alternative like mobility rehab practitioners online um that they're you know maybe have quite large followings but are, are considered fringe by the evidence-based community it's like they kind of invent problems that aren't really there and then are you know selling people the narrative that oh you are somewhat broken but i can help fix you and then obviously selling the solutions which is just such an issue and i know that's a lot of what we're talking about here mm, yeah big time and like there's so many different things you could talk about based on what you just said there but for me it all comes back to a biomedical model of healthcare like there is a problem there let's let's over medicalize it let's over diagnose it let's let's um discover a problem that if left undiscovered wouldn't have caused a problem in the first place but now we've created a problem and i'm selling you a, a solution to fix this problem but actually that's a problem that just doesn't need to be unraveled. It's not a problem. It's only a problem because you've made it. One. And uh, that's like, I, a lot of my clients at, at, um, at triage as well are probably shocked at the lack of mobility work that I give them. Like from a physio point of view, it probably looks more like a standard strength and conditioning program because there's very little mobility work added in there. Um, I definitely don't get people doing stuff just for the sake of it. And I think that's where, that's where all of our skills overlap for me. Like what you were saying, Dean, like we, you spend an awful lot of your time talking, communicating and educating as well. And I probably, I probably rely on that uh, more than the average physio. Cause I think when you look at what's the evidence for what you do as a physio, well, exercise is a huge component of what we do. Um, yeah. Mobility might play a bit of a role, um, but education is the big one. Education is the one that, any studies that we do in physio education is a huge component of it because it doesn't matter how good your exercise program is if the person doesn't understand do you know how long is this going to take to get better uh why am i doing this do you know what's the reasoning behind the exercise routine that i'm doing or my rehab routine that i'm doing so those soft skills of communication interpersonal skills listening they are um so vital and i think that's where we are all um that's where we all interlink i suppose even though it's nutrition like is your guys specialty and physio being mine those soft skills are still something that we all use a huge amount of given the nature of just working with human beings i think yeah it's um something that that popped into my head there is because <clears throat> i think sometimes people get a little bit confused in terms of like the definitions of some of these things but what would be What's kind of like in terms of defining what mobility is for the layman? Because obviously, 
the you know people that's listening to this may potentially be you know doing gym programs and stuff like that and there's a certain amount of mobility and stuff like that but i suppose what what's kind of where is that difference between like mobility work and then it becomes kind of like more formal exercise and um, because i think there's sometimes there's a little bit of confusion there um so what, what would your be what would your perspective be on that in terms of trying to define that for for the people yeah that, that's an excellent question because that's uh that's such a simple question that it's hard to define um which is part of the problem as well if that makes sense um because it's sold in so many different ways because there is no exact definition for it but my understanding of mobility that i would have learned is the available range that you have at a given joint so range of motion might make up like if we look at the range of motion of somebody's back we're moving the back and all of the structures the muscles tissues tendons ligaments around the back to get a global idea of their movement and not just at one specific joint because that's impossible for people that are talking about specific mobility work they're talking about the lack of range that you would have in a given joint and then trying to improve that range in a joint by doing specific exercises but the the gray area is when is it mobility and when isn't it mobility like a lot of a lot of the exercises that i would give somebody that has reduced range of motion in their ankle joint to somebody might look like very heavy strength training but actually for me that's a very effective mobility exercise because we're trying to improve the range of all the structures around the ankle joint itself and yeah we're lengthening some of the muscles and we're building strength into positions that their ankle isn't used to getting into but that would be something that i would work on as mobility training as opposed to somebody that's providing a very low level very low grade um you know very light type of stretch which might be considered mobility by other people as well not sure if that answers your question though no, it does like it because as you say, it is it's a hard, um, hard one to answer. Um, but I suppose it's just again comes back to this whole thing of like, um, you know, we, we I'm sure you as a physio want to help people to avoid wasting their time on things that's not really going to have much of a an effect for them. Um, and I think that actually sort of brings me over to one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you was I suppose, is there any benefit? from an injury risk and or a performance standpoint um, to doing kind of like activation, foam rolling mobility. Um, and then like maybe a secondary sort of add on question to that is like, what would be a general, what would be your general guidelines for, for, for a warm up before people do um, like a resistance training session or, or going for a run or something like that? Um. So to answer your first question, no. Um, are there any performance enhancing benefits of any of the standard activation, mobility work, uh, foam rolling? No, like there really isn't. And there's, you might find people that will, like there is some evidence to show that you get a very short temporary improvement in range of motion uh, by doing some foam rolling. If that's what you want to get, um, then happy days. If that prepares you to do a squat, fine. But I would never tell somebody they have to do it and I would never get somebody to do it uh, to change their range of motion because you can still get that change in motion change in range of motion by doing a more sport specific warm-up like a squat so um yeah there is no that's not going to reduce the risk of injury and it's not going to really change your performance in any meaningful way so what would be a good warm-up to do is something that's very specific to the type of exercise you intend to do 
for the duration of your workout. So if you're going doing some some um, weights and you're going squatting, I would say a nice warm up to do would be get your overall heart rate heart rate up, and that might be walking to the gym. You know that could be a warm up that you do where you're getting your heart rate up and you're getting blood flowing. If you're driving to the gym, you might actually bump the heat up in the car so that your core body temperature is is increasing. If you're um, if you're driving a little crappy car like what I would drive, you don't have the ability to turn on the heat in a very cold winter's morning, then you're going to suffer the drive to the gym. You're going to do potentially 10, 15 minute warm up on any cardio machine that you want. That's going to help you feel looser, get some blood flowing and get your heart rate up and your core temperature up. And then you're not going to mess around too much after that. You're going to get straight into the meat and bones of the stuff that's going to make a meaningful impact on your life and your health. And that's getting stuck into the actual exercises. So if you're going to do, let's say people are listening to this and they're doing a leg day, um, they're doing deadlifts or they're doing squats, the type of, of warm up you're going to do gets more specific the closer you get to the um, actual meat and bones of it. So you're going to be doing maybe a bodyweight squat. You might sit in the hole of the squat just to loosen out your hips to make yourself feel nice, nice and loose around your hips and your knees and your ankles. If you feel particularly tight in a given area, you might lean into a stretch in the bottom of a squat to try and open that area out or change your perception of how it feels temporarily. And then you would gradually increase the load on the bar. So you're going to do the bar itself. Let's assume you're somebody that's got a few years under your belt of training and you're going to do the bar. You might do your uh, just increments of weight up to your top set or your working sets. And then you might keep the that's your basically your warm up done. Like it's that simple. And I would do the, I would apply that same logic to every single lift that you start your sessions with. So you apply that same logic to your bench press, apply that same logic to your deadlifts as well. And that would be, so you're talking in total time between getting to the gym and starting your workout, maybe 20 minutes. Do you know, that's the length of time we're talking. As, as uh, somebody who lifts weights myself, not a not Shane Story level weight, like more uh, <laughs> kitten level weight, um, <laughs> I, I get into the gym and I normally walk to the gym myself and I don't even bother doing any cardio for anyone. I will go straight for on leg day. I'll be doing my squats. If I'm doing an upper body um, leg or upper body day, I'm starting with pull-ups. Then I'll be doing just some like say lat pull-downs just to get my lats activated and warmed up, prepared for the movements that are, they're going to be performing during the workout. So very, very, very boring answer for you. But mm. an answer that I would consider to be as evidence bases you're going to get for uh warm-up yeah i think like correct correct me if i'm wrong but i think you can get a long way by just not training like an asshole in terms of your volume and recovery and intensity and exercise execution because you know i can i can say from my perspective um you know i used to get a fair few injuries like early days in my lifting career um and then you know I, I spent this few years doing these excesses of mobility stuff and everything else and you know all that kind of stuff was unnecessary and then I moved away from doing that as I learned and understood that you know sorry, not really doing anything um and now you know like the last say year training with Patty it's like yeah I mean I don't I don't I do all I do for a warm-up is just as you said lighter sets of the exercises i'm going to do and i am definitely by no means any worse off like by just doing that and, and that kind of boring terms as i said 
versus doing all this like mobility stuff that I used to do um, that really wasn't necessary. And it's just like, you know, managing your training volume, not doing too much essentially and making sure your exercise execution and technique is good is going to take you a long way. Is that fair to say? Oh, that's very fair to say. Yeah. I think anyone that um, is aware of the evidence in terms of injury prevention and the likes, what you, everything you just said there is textbook. Like I was, when I was listing off the role of a physio earlier on, we were saying about communication and the exercise prescription side of things and the education, the, the load management is a huge component of what we do and load management, applying that to different sports. So for runners, it's trying to manage their total running volume in a week. For lifters, it's trying to manage their total daily, weekly, monthly, yearly volume so that we can manage any niggles that they have. And if you're training smarter, then you have less uh, need to mess around with all of these other modalities that change your perception of how things feel. Because at the nuts and bolts of it, that's all they're doing. They're changing your perception of how it feels. They're not changing the structure of your area that you're trying to improve the mobility of because they're not applying sufficient load to change any structure or tissue um, tissue structure. Um, so trying to actually manage your training smarter as opposed to training harder all the time is a much more logical approach to looking after your body and your joints long-term while still making progress. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, <clears throat> yeah. Like, and I think that's obviously one of the great things about, you know, if someone does want to get on board with yourself um, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment about how they might be able to do that. Um, but it's, it's nice that it's not just right. Okay. Here's your, we, we've got your physio esque knowledge over here, but it's also like, cause you have that S and C background. Um, and then you have all this kind of like coaching psychology behind, um, behind you as well. Like it's it sort of, a, it, it really gives people a much broader benefit, um, to just sort of seeing, um a physio that might be just like as you say go in and do a bit of rubbing and needling and all the rest of it like because obviously you know all of this stuff that people do on a, in a 24 as you say a daily weekly monthly yearly like in terms of their behaviors across time it's all going to kind of feed into whether they're not whether or not they have pain um so yeah that's it's definitely um a key component of it as well but um my Second question that I had for you is, uh, I suppose it's a funny answer to this potentially, but uh, what's the best thing about being a physio and what's the worst thing about being a physio? It's honestly a tough question. Um, that's the toughest question yet. So um, the best thing about being a physio, I, su I suppose the best thing about being a physio is um watching somebody get better which is really simple i know but that is that is a very that's a very satisfying thing when somebody comes to you with back pain and they've got all these beliefs that bending is bad um i can't lift anymore because my spine's going to crumble or i watched dr Raz and he said that the the discs are like jam donuts and the blood is going to square out my my ass when i when i bend over um, and, I, and I actually I don't mean that to, to take the piss out of people that have those actual beliefs because people will genuinely be coming to you fearful and scared as yeah. well with those beliefs and it's about I suppose what I get satisfaction out of is people um, 
is not being fearful anymore, you know, about those type of things happening because they're genuine fears that people will come with. And when you can build that rapport with them and chat to them in an open way, non-judgmental way, and then you start to expose them, like in the same way that if somebody has anxiety and you gradually expose them to the things that they fear and they get over their anxiety, back pain is very similar to that. You gradually expose their back to the movements that the back dislikes mm-hmm. in a very safe and controlled manner. And then you you then reap the rewards and you start to challenge beliefs that the person has about their back and all this stories that they've been told and they've seen on TV. That is that is possibly when that clicks, that is one of the most satisfying things ever. And it, it, it's so satisfying because it happens so uh, rarely. Like it's very hard to change people's beliefs as you know yourselves with different things. So when this all clicks and you get that eureka moment where somebody's bending or they're picking up their kids again without any problems or their grandkids or whatever, or they're able to go for a run without thinking that their kneecap is going to fall off. You know, these are really important things to people. And when, when people reach that goal and they maintain that goal, and they have the skills to manage it themselves without having to seek help. That's, that's the best thing by a mile. Um, hands down, best thing by a mile. So then the worst thing, there, there are a few. Like, there might be, people, might be young people listening to this that want to become physios. And I would recommend it as a profession. Like, it is very rewarding and it's very enjoyable. And like, when you get paid for doing this type of stuff with people, it's quite a privilege as well. But there are, on the flip side of that, there are a lot of things that are very frustrating. Like... Um, all of the all of the, the beliefs that people bring to the table can be um, can be really challenging. You know, like basic things like um, basic things like you're constantly having the same conversations with people every day. So every single person that I saw today said my posture is causing my pain. Or um, another one that you get very frequently is is bending is bad for my back. Or uh, the, the I have pain, therefore there's something damaged. Like all of those things are stuff that is inaccurate and not, not completely accurate, not completely true. And uh, trying, to, trying to break that down and trying to show people the flaws of that type of reasoning is, I would say, one of the worst things because it's really hard to see, to get people to see it from your point of view and to show them a different perspective. And that, that's a really tricky thing. And I will also add on to that is, everyone asks you for advice about their injuries. Family members ask for advice about their injuries. Uh, Like every single person that knows you're a physio will ask you for advice. So the burden that's on you every day to try and help people, that's pretty, that is pretty tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I totally get that as well. Maybe, maybe not just to the same degree, Mm. um, because I think like, Obviously, if people isn't are in pain, they're more likely to sort of think, "Oh, I'll talk to Luke about this." Versus, you know, if it's nutrition for me and you, Brian. But yeah, no, good answer, very good answer, Luke. Yeah, I think you, you've you've definitely encouraged a few people to to potentially go down the physio route if they're thinking of doing a college course in that in that profession. Like so, yeah. Hopefully, I hope um, I hope people would consider it as a profession because it is good. There there are there are lots of misconceptions in the media about what the best type of physio is and things like that and what you should be looking for in a physio. But um, once you get confident in your, in what you know, and you get confident in the uncertainty of day-to-day practice and the uncertainty of what does and doesn't work, then um, once you accept that, it becomes quite a fulfilling job, I think. 
Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, quite a satisfying way to <clears throat> close out the podcast, Dean. Do you agree? I think so. I would like to, to talk to Luke for another hour or two, but yeah, there's me too. other better yeah. things to be at than talking to us. Yeah, we'll have, to get, we'll have to get him on again um, realistically before you go back to college. When do you go back to college? Um, 20, 20 days. 25, 25 days, but... <laughs> Come here, I'll find time for you during the academic year. Don't worry about that. Okay. Okay. That's that's kind of you. Thanks, Luke. Um, yeah, because there, there was a lot of stuff that kind of triggered in my mind that I wanted to ask you about uh, throughout this conversation, like even that postural thing, right? Um, because I think we could spend an hour just talking about the different misguided beliefs that people have, like the specifics of them, and then also mm. like different recovery <laughs> modalities. We could do, uh, you know, we do the 10 myths for nutrition mm. take, take luke on and he can just rattle through 10 common pain and physio related myths yeah even even just talking about pain would be super interesting so um but yeah we have to be respectful of the man's time um how many patients are you seeing a week roughly at the moment um roughly i would say 12 12 per day anyway Jesus. 12 new that could be 12 new people as well like 12 people i've never met before so i was working this, since 10 up until half six today um so yeah bit, head's a bit fried as well but so, it's good it's busy over over 50 people a week then basically at the moment so um yeah look that that should uh, suffice to say that luke has a, a ton of experience and is helping a lot of people um and he does have coaching spaces available with us you know in triage method um luke offers the kind of full coaching package as we call it so you can get your training programming and you can get your nutrition you get your recovery lifestyle factors sorted out you get to work with luke on a, a one-to-one basis and then obviously you know you want to make use of luke's skill set here where uh helping people with this kind of pain aspect to the get moving better and, and you know helping with the rehabilitation process you know whether it's post-injury post-surgery just a niggle that won't go away um when you're trying to you know engage in the sport that you enjoy or engage in the exercise that you enjoy and it's just or even you know like you said just picking up your kids you know and, and not having that be an issue um you know, there's huge scope for uh, Luke to potentially help you with this stuff so and um, if you're interested in coaching with with Luke or with any of us in triage methods, um, you know, you can follow those links um, in the, uh, the the show notes um, and find out more about it. Um, which, yeah, if, if, if any of that resonates with you, I would encourage you to get in touch. Because um, like I said, there's huge scope there for just getting a, a really high standard of care. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And we, we hopefully it comes across that we all love what we do here um, in terms of how we talk about it and kind of the breakthroughs that we have. And, you know, some of the best things about our job, Dean, I'm sure you'd agree, is, is similar to what Luke says there in terms of having those breakthroughs, you know, seeing people, you know, long, no longer being fearful of, you know, going out for a meal or, you know, eating certain foods. It's, it's quite synonymous with, you know, no longer being afraid to do a deadlift or whatever the case may be. So. And we'll leave that there. Uh, Luke, very much appreciate you joining us. Um, I'm glad we could get it sorted. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely want to have you on again. 
um, because there's more to chat about, um, more stories and anecdotes, I think, as well in there too. So uh, unless you have anything else you want to add, Dean, um, I think we can wrap it up there. No, um, we'll, uh, we'll put all the links for everybody's social media in in the um description as well so if you're not already following luke you should be because his reels are fucking deadly we love to see him posting all the uh all the research and uh, breaking it down as it relates to all this stuff um so yeah no any closing remarks uh, before we sign out luke um if anyone didn't agree or wants to chat through anything that i mentioned please do dm me on instagram because uh, it's always good to have open discussions with people that have differing views to you about these type of things. So I'm more than happy to chat anyway. Yeah, awesome. Guys, thank you for listening. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.